if you look at kind of the history of Section 7 consultations, that since the 1970s and basically every decade, the percentage of formal consultations done by the Fish and Wildlife Service that have resulted in a jeopardy finding, which is basically really bad news uh, because it would it would put requirements it could potentially just straight up stop the project the incidence of those was you know at one point it was like four or five percent and then it's gotten down to be like it's it's literally a fraction of a percent Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Heron, and this is Talking Space. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023, and I'm joined tonight by Gene McCulka. Greetings, Gene. Greetings, Larry. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting night tonight. <laughs> I would think so. And we're, we're also joined tonight by Eric Resch. How you doing, Eric? I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm a regular now. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> We're glad to have you. <laughs> Eric Resch is not a stranger to this show. We've talked about him and his writings many times on Talking Space. And we also had him on for a couple of previous episodes discussing the environmental lawsuit brought by a consortium of environmental and tribal groups against the FAA and SpaceX regarding alleged environmental damages caused by the first integrated test launch back in April of this year. However, this time on Talking Space, we're going to be focusing on a somewhat related subject, the regulatory hoops that SpaceX still has to jump through to get that coveted Flight 2 modified launch license. So let's start with the flurry of Starship-related news that happened last week. And there's a lot to unpack here, so bear with us as we get everybody up to speed. So first, thankfully, there were no new developments as of this afternoon that were publicly documented on the uh, lawsuit that I just mentioned. Uh, next, on September 10th, 2023, and apparently redacted or rephrased at least list of 63 corrective actions resulting from the now completed mishap investigation uh, was published by Elon Musk on X. Uh, Eric, these corrective actions appear to greatly improve Starship's chances of completing the mission objectives for the next Starship launch. But in your opinion, did any of them address the requirements of the Clean Water Act in terms of procuring an industrial wastewater permit for the new deluge system? No, but they, they aren't intended to. And, and, uh, I think, uh, I think I, I try to at least be a little bit measured because I'm not a rocket scientist. Um, I do have a, I do have a process safety background and, and I was actually asked on a, um, a podcast I recorded the other day, you know, whether, what, you know, were they, were they adequate? Were these corrective actions adequate? And, the answer is, I don't know, but I mean, um, it, it's all we saw is kind of a, a summary of, of like a, a spreadsheet. Um, and, and they certainly look comprehensive. Um, and, and I think, I think the one thing I, that I want to point out, I guess, before we move on is that when we talk about corrective actions for things, you know, if you've got 63 corrective actions for something that's a, a safety critical thing that involves, you know, uh, you know, either moving dirt or reprogramming something or redesigning something, you know, one corrective action could take longer than, than 62 combined. So I always like to remind people that you can't, you can't weight them all equally. Um, and that's, that's, that's not a knock on SpaceX. That's just always a good reminder that sometimes that last corrective action could take a lot longer than the rest of them combined. Yeah. And if I can just interject something real, real fast, those, those quote corrective actions that were listed by Musk were intentionally vague. If you read them through, they, they are, then they're vague for a reason because a lot of the, the stuff that was mentioned by FAA that needed, needed addressing, it's proprietary technology. And I'll also mention too, too, that, uh, 
that list supposedly was was something that Musk didn't think he knew about when it was published. <laughs> and then, if, if I recall exactly, because he he first the FAA said, well, there are 62, 63 things you guys need to address. And Musk at the end of it said, well, what are the 63 items? And you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to take actually Musk's side on this in that he uh, definitely knew it. And that was one of the times where he really was just joking around. Uh, I, I don't know if people people oftentimes interpret things he says uh, literally, but I, I I I he knew what it was. That's that's my interpretation on it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't. It was I mean, it, it was I think it was him, you know, just just having fun as he is wont to do. Yeah, I mean, of course he knew about it. <laughs> right, right, and then regarding them being, um, you know, really shortened to the point, like that's, you know, I mean, it's 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 a index, right? So it's just a summary of the high level. So you know, you can suss out certain things, um, certain kind of high level topics, but the actual, like when you when you go through and you've got a, you know, a, a HAZOP, um, you know, or a PHA or something that's you know a similar. Um, you know, safety, safety system that, that's, that's related to, to, to process and, and preventative safety measures. You know, the, the corrective actions aren't, sometimes it's, it's, they're not as prescriptive as you would think because they're performance based and, and you would have to, you know, you, you would have to, FA would have to actually audit them and go through and say, you know, does this meet the intent of it? Um, sometimes it's not just like, you know, adjust this, adjust this valve by, you know, you, you know, however many, uh, um, you know, PSI or, 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 you know, change a testing frequency to some specified amounts. A lot of times it'll be, you know, more descriptive. And then f- so kind of on a hierarchy basis, you've got your index and you probably have a description that says, you know, you must do X, Y, Z in these descriptive terms. And then you'd say, well, how is this meeting this? And then that would reference maybe a process model or a, you know, a calculation or an engineering design. And so you start to get, as you go from the actual like headline items down to actually, you know, doing the corrective actions and then a third party validating whether they're okay, it gets more complex and, and requires, you know, engineering judgment. Um, and so that's why for that in particular, you know, given that I don't know anything beyond that and I'm very much not a rocket scientist, that's probably the best way to look at it. Um, that, that they certainly didn't look like on the surface inadequate, uh, you know, from a, from a pure safety standpoint. Um, and this is me just, you know, talking on a very, general framework for how safety reviews go. Right. So, so then on September 13th, uh, acting FAA administrator, Polly Trottenberg told reporters on the sidelines of a conference that quote, we're working well with them, meaning SpaceX. And I think we're optimistic sometime next month, whatever that means. I think it means that the FAA will take that long to confirm that SpaceX has satisfactorily completed all the corrective actions specified in the mishap investigation report and that, quote, sometime next month, unquote, probably has nothing to do with the environmental side of things. Gentlemen, right. your thoughts? Yeah, that's I, I think that's and this is the part that's really frustrating as someone who. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I take offense to lots of things that Musk does. I'm not shy about it. And I think it's really frustrating because I, I think especially in, and we'll get into the reporting after the fact, I think that statement, especially in retrospect with what the, um, uh, what was reported from, from the FAA and then from Fish and Wildlife Service was that that next month was completion of some step in the purely safety and launch uh, FAA legal requirements and does not involve the other parts that go into reissuing a license, which includes review of logistical things, then also environmental requirements. So I think yeah. it's really frustrating because I, I think she must have known or she should have known, right? That was going to be probably a lot or significantly longer, if not, you know, maybe a month or two longer, maybe, maybe longer than that, that when you kind of leave that door open and say, when the fans and the people that cover it see it, they're saying, wait, we're launching next month and people are about to be disappointed. And that gives a kind of an in right. for and Musk to kind of spin his magic. So that's kind of, that's where I get frustrated with it. In fairness, I have to also point out that Trottenberg also mentioned that SpaceX would also need a separate environmental approval from us fish and wildlife service before launch. And she didn't say how long that might take. So 
Right, right. And, and, and that's, that's, that's things you deal with, you know, um, and I don't, you know, people get really mad when you say the word bureaucrat, but like I, I was a regulator and some of it's just like you, you stay in, you stay in your lane. The FAA is responsible for X. We don't, at least on the surface, you know, we don't influence what these other agencies do and we don't influence what these other departments do. And so technically correct, but I think, I think it's one of those cases where I would prefer public servants give a little more information, especially when, um, you know, it's such a public facing thing. And, you know, the, the CEO of SpaceX has a little bit of a reputation of, you know, spinning, you know, kind of unknowns to his benefit. And I don't think it, I don't think it helps the public out. And I don't think it, I don't think it, it doesn't, it doesn't help the, the, the government when you, when you want to have people believe you, but that's, that's my opinion. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And then, well, then, then Friday afternoon, late Friday afternoon on September 15th, the day after our previous episode of Talking Space was recorded, uh, we got news from the FAA via an emailed news release that the FAA was performing a written reevaluation of the 2022 programmatic environmental assessment. The WR, as it's called, will evaluate all the new environmental data collected as a result of the April 20th initial test launch of Starship and will include the results of an Endangered Species Act consultation with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, so what, what's what's the rest of that story, Eric? What am I missing there? Yeah, so so it's really interesting um, is there's there's two parts of it. So the written reevaluation under NEPA is predicated on knowing that something changed or you had new information and we're going to go into it. Um, I, I'm not saying it's always done this way, but this is how the law is written and how it's been interpreted is we, we know there's been a change and we think it could impact, you know, the, the conclusions we made in, in that environmental assessment. Right. And, and so that one is a little bit of a question mark. It's just saying, you know, we're doing a reevaluation. It isn't like a, um, and, and some, some of, some people would be surprised to hear me say it. I, I don't think that particular statement is a admission that it was inadequate um, from that standpoint, because doing doing a reevaluation is just, you know, it's 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 we're making sure that we're doing things the right way. And you'd kind of have to do a reevaluation anyway, given um, I know we talked about I don't remember if it was first time we talked or the second time um, that that Fonzie having that number of, of corrective actions, the, the mitigations like 60 something of them. Um, that they would have to review those anyway when they're going through the launch license. So they're kind of having to do it regardless. I think they would have had to do it if they were re reissuing a launch license. Um, so I think that one's interesting. I don't think that one's much of a tell, but the thing that I was surprised by and I've been, um, you know, I, I I've been, you know, sometimes I'm, sometimes a little bit optimistic that, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that, you know, government agencies are really, you know, covering all the bases they're supposed to do. And, 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 you know, sometimes maybe I'm a little bit over optimistic that they'll, you know, be, be what I think should be more critical in their objective review. But given kind of that context, I was surprised to see the specifics on the Endangered Species Act because the language used um, some of the, the, the specific timeframes, which I believe is, um, what is it? It's 60 to 135 days. Um, those numbers come from the regulation. And then the, the written language they use that, uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, um, hadn't even officially started the, the, the formal review. And so that language, what that is saying is that, um, and I believe there is reporting from Bloomberg, uh, follow up reporting, uh, this week that, um, the fish, that FAA had sent in a letter in August requesting this. And so what that means to me, and this is what's really interesting is the written reevaluation under NEPA is a question mark. We don't know. I was surprised to see this because there are four, there are four criteria. This is directly from the Endangered Species Act. I will read them to you and we can, we can discuss and break them down. There are four, there are four things that would trigger that requirement, right? And so the four of them are if the amount or extent of taking, which is a, a take is a 
a, a, a bit, essentially it's a kill or a surrogate for a kill, which we can get into again. The, if the amount or extent of taking specified in the incidental take statement is exceeded. Two, if new information reveals effects of the action that may affect listed species or critical habitat in a manner or to an extent not previously considered. Three, if the identified action is subsequently modified in a manner that causes an effect to the listed species or critical habitat that was not considered in the biological opinion or written concurrence, or if a new species is listed or critical habitat designated that may be affected by the identified action. So those four are really, the first three are kind of the same. <laughs> They're saying was, was the initial section, section seven review under the endangered species act, um, not up to date. And that was either, that would either be a consequence of, uh, you know, the project itself gaining in scope so it could affect more endangered species or endangered habitat, um, or it was inadequately done in the first place. And the fourth one is basically saying if a new species gets listed or if a new habitat gets designated in the interim, and that could be no fault of SpaceX's or FAA's, if the Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, came up and said, you know, proposed a new species to be added to the Endangered Species Act and it happened to live right there, that would trigger it. And that would be, because it's required, then that would be of no, I don't even want to say fault. That would be kind of independent of the specifics to that project because we have new information. We have a new endangered species to consider. Would that be a case of where, you know, Fish and Wildlife would say, hey, we went out there to inspect things after the first launch and we we found evidence of this new species. And so... No, no. Well, I guess it could be if a new one was found, but that one is mm -hmm. mostly for if the actual act is modified to change the listing of a species. Uh, right? So species are changed. I yeah. See. So I, I don't think, I think that one doesn't, doesn't apply. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Yeah. Um, the first three are interesting because they, they say it's, it's more explicit. It's not saying we're checking. It's saying we think that for all intents and purposes, the initial impact statement under the Endangered Species Act, specific to the act, the Section 7, we actually think it was inadequate. Agencies, if they don't know or it's unclear or it's fuzzy, they tend to historically uh, not err on the side of caution. Um, and, that, and that shows up in the data. Written reevaluations for formal reviews are fairly uncommon. Um, and so I think that one is more interesting because I think it's pretty close to a tacit admission that basically the, the the first environmental, at least the first Endangered Species Act review was inadequate. And I don't think it's because of the addition of the deluge system or the changes. I think it was, um, you know, the impacts were greater than what they expected. Well, um, that's which does kind of you talked about a long time ago, right? In, in a lot of <laughs> right. your writings on Substack and it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to dunk the ball too much, yeah. uh, you know, because, because, you know, you'll, uh, you'll get burned if you keep doing that too much. Um, right. Sometimes it's hard not to, to be correct. Um, and yeah, so I think, I think that one is more significant. I was surprised to see it. Um, it's there. It's open. That doesn't mean it's catastrophic. Um, and before we started recording, I want to make sure I get this out of the way. I think we've got a few more updates to, to go with, but I, I actually think, um, I think there's some positive with this and I think we should get into that later, but I actually don't, if you look at kind of the history of section seven consultations that since the 1970s and basically every decade, the percentage of formal consultations done by the fish and wildlife service that have resulted in a jeopardy finding, which is basically really bad news. Uh, you, it would, it would be really bad. Uh, because it would it would put requirements it could potentially just straight up stop the project the incidence of those was you know at one point it was like four or five percent and then it's gotten down to be like it's it's literally a fraction of a percent and mm -hmm. it's not because necessarily agencies are getting more lax although i think that can happen from time to time it is generally that the agencies that go in and support these they know they know which times to ask for it and which times that the project should be killed earlier. Right. So if they're going to be building in the middle of something, that's going to be a really sensitive habitat, they they're more likely to avoid it up front. So I, I actually don't, I don't think for those people that are like, you know, we must stop this, you know, this has to stop. Um, I don't think that directly 
the the result of this consultation is going to be a result is going is, to it's it's just not a likely outcome um so is there a is there a definite set of possible outcomes of the wr yeah there's um usually well i mean really there's for all intents and purposes there's two there's um you know there's there's one that's like basically like there's there's no impact and then there's one where most of the time when you go to a formal review you know that it's going to affect a species and and for people that act like you know environmentalists you know you know, we'll, we'll cry tears if a single, you know, uh, endangered, you know, water flea gets killed. That's, that's not true. And, and, and the act, uh, the endangered species act has built into it what they call take, um, which is, you know, capture, harassment, um, killing or removal of a species. Um, and so what happens is they will, the, the biological opinion will say the, the take, right? So the, it's, it's kind of morbid, but what they're saying is like, well, this, this, modeled based on the the stuff we know going into it, it will kill this number of Ridley's Kemp turtles. We know it'll kill this number of, you know, whatever species it is. Like I said, it's kind of morbid, but that's how it's, it's based on statistical modeling. And then if that take is at a level that will upgrade the species to a higher classification or will, you know, basically jeopardize the existence of the species going forward, then it's basically you're, you're, you're putting the halts on the project at minimum for years and it may just kill it. Um, so that's kind of the worst outcome is if those take statements or those take calculations um, get to the point where they are a jeopardized calculation. And in this case, I'm guessing that um, the, the, the outcome will be, and the expected outcome is that for the um, migratory birds, um, the red knot, um, and the uh um oh my goodness uh <laughs> the piping plover there piping plover there we yeah, go. i i um yeah the in the piping plover so those two um they what they did is instead of using an actual like body count they used percent of habitat as like a surrogate so they basically say you know we've got this m- many acres and we we count this percentage of the acres as a law, as a, as a consequence of not just an individual launch, but of the launch operation going forward as described will permanently alter or degrade X number of acres. And that would make sense given that we saw debris fly a lot further than people thought it would, as you know, we've talked about extensively um, on this show and I've written about, and I, I, I'm guessing that that is the modeled outcome is that they, they want to make sure they have all their bases covered and that they're accurately describing how many, you know, acres of this, you know, specified habitat for, I think those two species in particular will have changed as a consequence of not just the explosion looking back or not, not just the, you know, destruction looking forward, but also, you know, what's going to happen going forward. So I think it's, it's, it seems like a pretty tacit admission that, you know, uh, may, maybe through no fault of their own, no one saw it coming. I don't know, but it seems like an admission that the initial assessment was inadequate. That's kind of my um, fairly conservative take on it. I think that's that probably matches reality. But I was surprised to see it. I'm not going to lie. Saying it, saying it without saying it. Right, <laughs> right, right. That it was inadequate. <laughs> well, and they may have to say it, right? So when they do yeah. the written reevaluation of the NEPA stuff, they may have to say it was, yeah. um, or they may say hey, we're making some minor changes here. Um, I'm guessing that's the outcome. That's usually the safest bet. Um, but yeah, the the this ESA thing is interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and one thing I wanted to clarify that uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna beat in the table a lot is that there was actually. Um, there's been some discussion over the past, I think, 10 years or so about um, who initiates a written reevaluation under the Endangered Species Act. And that is, it's kind of ambiguous in the rule. And basically, it's, you can look, read it one way and some of the guidance that's existed before that either the service, and when it says the service, it means the Fish and Wildlife Service, or the sponsoring agency can at any point, if they think that the, the, the ESA section seven consultation is inadequate that they can go back and request this written reevaluation. But, and this is, this is a, there was some back and forth during the Trump administration, but actually in just this year in 2023, I think it was actually, I think it was like three or four months ago, um, the fish and wildlife service uh, uh, made it, made it clear under no uncertain terms 
that the um the the responsibility is fully on the sponsoring agency so they can they can make suggestions they can give their input but that decision is going to rest on the on the federal aviation administration they are the ones that made that decision and and we have we have documentation in the federal register that shows it we'll be right back You know, we do a lot of talking here on Talking Space about a wide variety of space-related stuff. But there's a lot more to talk about and report on in the universe of space. So much more. Is there something you'd like us to pay more attention to than we do? Or perhaps pay not so much attention to? But if your answer is, yeah, about a little less SpaceX, then I wouldn't hold your breath with this crew. The point is, we'd like to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Send us an email to mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. You can also attach a short audio file with your comment or question, and we'll play it on the show if we can. Come on, don't be shy. Hey, I think I sound stupid, and I'm doing it. And if I can, you can. Can't wait to hear from you. Thanks. And now back to the show. We talked a little bit about uh, about the WR. So, what are the possible outcomes? How long would each of those possible outcomes take to resolve, or does it really not make much difference? If anyone hasn't read the excellent FOIA release by the Fish and Wildlife Service to Bloomberg um, a few weeks back, Fish and Wildlife officials and, and and field scientists were not pleased with the outcome. They were they were upset, um, and to we can't discount that as nothing. Um, I think it's very difficult, um, you know, kind of politically and then also logistically with, you know, them using, you know, habitat area as a surrogate. Um, and given that the, um, piping plover isn't at the full, uh, you know, endangered criteria, they're, they're one tier below it. Um, I, I don't, I don't think a jeopardize outcome from this is something to hang your hat on. Um, that being said, given that, you know, there's, there was, I mean, there's no way to put it besides that they were, they, it was in the headline. It was in the descriptive. I read the documents. I mean, they were, they were not pleased. And so there's this talk that like, well, you know, kind of, well, Musk said it'll be next month and the FAA administrator said it'll be next month. So, you know, hey, formal re- re- reevaluations under section seven of the Endangered Species Act can be as quick as 30 to 45 days. And so that's when we'll see it. Um, what they're not telling you is that even in that case where it's not a controversial project, most of the time those rewritten reevaluations are kind of like a, uh, like the, the, the biological opinion was valid for five years and that written reevaluation was required because it wasn't current, but you're basically going through and updating like for like, or there's some, you know, there's some technical reason that it has to occur and it's just not going to be complicated. This one's obviously going to be politically fraught. Um, it's obviously going to have a lot of attention on it. Um, the fish and wildlife service employees aren't, you know, I don't think they're out to get SpaceX, but like, you know, we got to be honest here. Like regulators are people too. And like these people do care about the environment. They care about, you know, people that especially that go into fish and wildlife service, you know, they're, they're animal lovers and they care about that regulation. It's, it's, it's a very important one. You know, I think it's of all the agencies, you know, you talk about it being really personal for NASA employees. Like you want to talk about people that really care about their work. You know, you talk to, you talk to someone who's, who's a ranger or field scientist for fish and wildlife service. Those people, you know, they, they believe strongly in it. So the idea that this is going to get rushed because, you know, Musk said so, or because the FAA said something, um, you know, they, they really for, for, they have, uh, you know, 135 days from when the consultation starts. Um, and then there's kind of a way to automatically, not automatically, but to pretty easily extend that 45 days if they wanted to. Um, Fish and Wildlife Service was very explicit in saying that they haven't considered it started yet because they don't have all the information to review. So a lot of times that written reevaluation will start when that letter goes in. Um, we know from reporting that the letter went in in August. So, you know, uh, you know, FAA was aware of it, you know, months ago that they were going to have to do this. And Fish and Wildlife Service has some discretion over when that, you know, um, up to 135 day window starts. And, you know, from, from what we've seen in reporting, it hasn't started yet. And that doesn't mean it's going to take 135 days, but to think that it's going to be, you know, a few weeks, I think that's, 
considering they came out and said here in mid September that we don't even have all the information we need. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I think, I, I think I would be shocked if it's anything under, you know, 60 days from when they start and maybe they get it done in a week or two. So, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't think it's happening in October regardless, just based on, you know, how, how approvals of stuff work and how the law is written and what we've already been told. Something else that I'm seeing in this, uh, uh, fish and wildlife service statement, uh, what I'm looking at here was sent to NASA space flight dot com uh, that um, under Section Seven of the Endangered Species Act, reinitiation involving major changes in effects analysis or changes in the service's biological opinion are addressed fully in a new consultation. And what 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 does that mean exactly? That's that's the same thing. That's the okay. reevaluation. It's okay. basically a brand new one. It's gonna it's it's not gonna be a brand new one from scratch because you're gonna be able to reuse. Like I I fully believe that they underestimated impacts. Um, you know, going in kind of across the board, but I'm they're not gonna start fresh. But but for from a regulatory standpoint, it's saying we have to start over on the biological opinion process, and that mm-hmm. process is you have a draft opinion that's kind of a team project, but it tends to be more done by, in this case, would be done by, you know, SpaceX and they, they, they're able, it's called a consultation because they're supposed to have regular meetings and talk about it. And then when that's done, um, it's actually the, the 135 days is kind of misleading because the actual review itself, that kind of collaborative back and forth process is, um, you know, supposed to take 90 days up to 90 days. And then the service fish and wildlife service has 45 days to actually finalize the report. The other thing that was mentioned in the F in the uh, fish and wildlife statement was that we have 135 days to issue a final biological opinion, but at any time FAA and the service can agree to extend that time. If for some reason we need to gather further information or new information is presented. Right. Those words are directly from the regulation, by the way. Okay. So the, the extension, all that stuff is directly from the regulation. So it's, it's really tempting. And like, I, I shoot, I've been guilty of it before to like read too much in it, but like they're, they're literally reading the timing requirements straight from section Correct. seven of the yeah. endangered species act. So the bullet point that I'm most interested in is says for SpaceX reinitiation with FAA, we are considering the operation of a water deluge system. The service is currently discussing the project details with FAA staff to understand the extent of new effects. Right. So uh, everyone's been asking about the deluge system. Um, I probably, I mean, it's obviously new and people have been talking about it. Um, right. You know, I've, I've written about it a few times, but um so I, I don't know what exactly to make of it. Um, I'm not a wildland ecologist. I'm not, I, I, I love kind of knowing the, the wonky process as it goes out. But when it comes to the actual impact, um, from an endangered species standpoint, I don't know how big of an impact the deluge system itself would have, right? Cause it's, you already have a giant heat plume. And those impacts tend to be the surface waters, which can affect wildlife. And so there's some downstream impacts, you know, both literal and figure, figurative. Um, but, but I think, I think, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read less into things, you know, be, be, be a little bit, a little bit more conservative, um, you know, with, with, with how things have changed that I, I, I guess I wouldn't see that as a, as big of an impact given, mm-hmm. you know, in context of, the giant heat and, you know, um, sound wave that's, that's blasting through, you know, for, for quite a wide radius. Um, not that's a bad thing, but that's, that's an accepted thing. Um, I, I don't, and and people, people, I, I asked, I, I had people ask me, right. So this came out and people are like, well, they, I saw, you know, the fish and wildlife service was asking about the deluge system. And that's, you know, the, obviously the new big thing they installed. And so they included it. People are like, well, are they gonna, are they, are they gonna ding them under the clean water act? And like, I, they can't really, because that's not in scope of, you know, it's, it's, it's out of scope of their responsibility, endangered species act. Right now. And, and this is kind of, if, if you allow me to put on my, you know, uh, if, if you want to, if, if you want to do a doomsday scenario for, for SpaceX, you know, for, for people who really don't want this thing to, to, you know, speed on forward is that there's kind of a, there's kind of a way that, I believe if they put in their biological opinion 
that if they said something like, we need clarity from the agency of record, which would be TCEQ and to a lesser extent EPA, we need to know what that impact would be under a clean water standpoint. So if they set, if they put TCEQ or, you know, maybe EPA, they could call them directly. They're, they're clean water expert acts in, in the EPA. They could maybe force the issue, but I don't think they could put this doesn't have a permit under the clean water act and it needs one in a biological opinion, because uh-huh. I think that would be wholly inappropriate because that's not what the biological opinion is for. If that makes sense. Yep. Yep. It does actually. <laughs> if you've been doing this for a while, like we have <laughs> everybody, yes. it's, it gets back to what you said about staying in your own lane. Right. 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 Yeah. Drift from, from time to time, but yes, yeah, that that's, that's, you know, if, if that's, you know, you have to have, um, if you've spent time in, in how these regulations work, a lot of times it's not just, it's not just the plain reading of the rule. It's how it's been interpreted in the past and how the actual agency, you know, interaction, how that process works is understanding it is half the battle. It's not just reading the law. Right. And so I, since I know that there's going to be people who are dying to know the answer to this question, I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Does this scenario ever get to the point where a conclusion is reached that, oh, we need to go back and do an environmental impact study now uh, because things are just too different from how we expected them to be? Or is, or is uh, that not a possibility? I I don't know. I mean, I guess it is. It, it's, I mean, my, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to live in the moment of what we know now versus what we know before. Um, Cause I certainly think it was inadequate in the first place. And I think, I think they would have been in a lot better shape if, you know, uh, going back to, to, you know, early, I think it was late 2020 when they were starting to put together the first stages of what would become the environmental assessment. You know, there, there was some hesitancy in SpaceX to even, you know, listen to this. This was, you know, kind of going years before if they had just, it's it's really frustrating as someone who's you know done compliance is like if they just done the full you know kit and caboodle and and figured out the land use and figured out the infrastructure and and built it right and 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 got going in 2018 or 2019 when it was clear this was something that they were kind of leaning towards doing it's just really frustrating because we wouldn't be dealing with these issues um so i think that's kind of so i guess long story short it could happen i wouldn't count on it. What I will say as, as the ultimate wild card, which I think is the single biggest risk, you know, I've written about it. It's that, you know, that discharge, um, from the deluge system or whatever they want to call it, um, that goes out into the wetlands is it's an illegal discharge under the clean water act. And I, I think there's maybe a way that for, for at least maybe a year or two until, uh, you know, a court or another agency kind of forces the issue. Maybe you can just kind of ignore it and say, we're still evaluating it for years to come. But if someone, I, I truly believe the biggest risk is if someone forces that issue and says, TCQ, you have to make this decision or TCQ decides we're not taking that liability and they make a good faith look at it. They're going to have to say, this is an illegal discharge and you can't allow it until you have that permit and until you have systems to collect and treat that water, because that's what's required under the clean water act. I mean, that is, that's, I mean, like that's, that's catastrophic. And I don't, I don't see the political will for that to happen, but like as, as like how the law has been implemented and how every other company has been treated and how the agencies have treated this really kind of baseline requirement, that really should hold it up. I don't know how it's politically tenable. I don't know how they'll figure it out, but I don't, if TCEQ is put on the spot and made a decision, I think they're going to have to say, this is an illegal discharge under the clean water act and we cannot allow it. And yeah. if they say that, then the FAA cannot approve, you know, the Fonzie that they issued. And I, I, I don't, I don't know what happens because I, it's almost, it's almost unimaginable politically, but it feels inevitable regulatorily, if that makes sense. And, it's and weird. Just to be clear, it doesn't really matter because uh, SpaceX has already installed some concrete 
berm catchment system facilities around the launch pad. I'm not, and I'm not sure if they've gotten all the way around the launch pad or not yet, but it doesn't really matter in the sense that even if everything was done perfectly and was approvable for a permit, uh, it still wouldn't be legal because they don't have the permit. They don't have the PE signing off on things. They don't have the regulatory right. review. They don't have the permit approval. So even if everything's right. perfect, that, it's still no good from a legal standpoint. Right. And that's, that's the paperwork side. And I think, uh, I don't know, you might be able to find, you might be able to find, you know, some legal wiggle room to give. I, I, I don't know. And like, but, but I mean, like, let's, let's be honest. We've seen pictures of it during a live fire. I mean, like the pressure they're pushing that water through in order to be able to be effective that, you know, um, catchment pond or whatever they have there. Um, it doesn't go all the way around. They can't construct it all the way around because of how the land's designated and sloped. And even beyond that, it's, it shoots a jet of water straight up into the air that, that is, that is, you know, uh, process water and it goes right into a wetland of the United States. And I, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, even like, yeah, you're right with the permit. Like you need to have that permit, you know, in order for that catchment basin and ba- basin to be compliant, it has to exist. You have to have treatment. You have to have all that other stuff. Um, and, and you could have it and, and not have a permit and yeah, it would be, it would be not allowed under the clean water act, but I don't, I just don't see like, physically how they can prevent that water from getting into waters of the United States, which is, I, I just, I don't, I, don't, I, I guess I don't see it. I, I don't know. It, it would require some yeah. very innovative uh, regulatory interpretations that would require a lot of sign offs that I have a hard time believing. So I guess my bullish scenario for SpaceX being able to launch is that everyone's kind of like, well, if we don't look at it or we don't talk about it enough, we can just save that for a later day. I don't, I obviously don't think that's a good precedent, but I also don't know how politically anyone, you know, kind of lets that happen, even if that's the right thing to do and what should happen. I just, mm-hmm. you know, try to be realistic. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's a lot of attention on it and, and, and Mr. Musk makes sure that things that he does has a lot of attention on it. I just, I, I don't know. It seems like a, it seems like a disaster. I do not, I do not envy anyone that has to, um, you know, kind of make that final decision. And so my interpretation of kind of the different statements we see is some of that's just how bureaucracies work and it's, it's maddening, but it seems to me there's a little bit of, it's a little bit of hot potato. No one, I think everyone knows it's kind of messed up and it's going to be more complicated than, you know, people who are fans and people who want to see, see space flight happen. And it's going to just keep getting more complicated and no one wants to be the guy that everyone is raging at for, you know, you know, shutting down, you know, our, our mission to Mars or whatever it is. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I really do not feel yeah. good for those people because yeah. that's tough. Well, I have one last question for you. Uh, <laughs> with everything that we've talked about, um, see, can you summarize the, the perspective possibilities for the timing of approval for this uh launch license um to, to get all the everything straightened out you know best case scenario and worst case scenario um i think i think the biggest tell that this is not going to be a you know forget two weeks i don't think it's going to be a four or six week thing i think the best tell is that fish and wildlife service made it very abundantly clear that they, this is the one thing that doesn't come directly from the regulation. They said, we don't have all the information to even consider the formal consultation process to begin. And then they mention the dates. And so I don't think, I don't think they're trying to like, they're out to get SpaceX or whatever. It's a complicated project and there's a lot of attention on it. So I think, you know, them hedging is probably the best bet that, you know, from today, if we saw it, in 90 days, I think would be an amazingly good outcome for SpaceX. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess uh, worst case scenario is that, you know, someone pushes someone, someone pushes it in a way that the, you know, some of these things that are really kind of just factual permitting and, and regulation realities, such as like the clean water act stuff. I mean, it could be a year. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like it's not going to be, I feel like there's going to, Someone's going to find a way to try to, you know, um, pull a quick one. But I think, I think there's also some of, you know, the calculations that the FAA is making is that 
they, they don't want to lose that lawsuit that's, that's, you know, pending. And if they are completely reckless, then they are going to hand a huge win. Um, and, and people don't like to lose, uh, government agencies don't like to lose. Um, it's, I mean, it's, 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 and sometimes, and sometimes it, you know, there's, um, I think, I think the, um, the judge in the DC circuit that's seeing it is a, a conservative nominee and is not, you know, he's not known as like some sort of, you know, uh, a super defender of environmental ro- uh, rules. But, you know, I, I think people misunderstand a lot of times judges, if they see like an agency or an agent of the administrative state, you know, kind of overstepping their bounds, that it's actually maybe even more of a risk for a conservative to kind of come out and be like, no, you're doing what an agency is not supposed to do and you're not reading, you know, the law as intended and you are, you know, and so I think there's, I think, I think that there's some nuance, I think, in how the judiciary that does tend to side with agencies. I think if they, if they feel like they're being insulted almost or that, or that the agency has gotten too big for its britches, they'll do something. And I don't, I just like, I mean, I know a lot of people, like people that listen to the show really care about space. Um, and, but like the fact of the matter is, it's like, you know, judges also care about their reputation and they, they have, they have other motivations and, and not everyone is fixated on, you know, getting SpaceX to launch as quickly as possible. I think some people kind of believe that and it's just, it's, it's not true. Um, and so I, I don't know, I guess I would, I would say, you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just put it out there. I, I bet we'll see something in December. I think there'll probably be some shortcuts taken. I probably won't be super pleased with it, but if we're being realistic, I think December, um, I guess one other thing I want to say before, um, you know, b- b- before we you know, kind of start wrapping up here is that I think this, I think if you want to see this be a successful launch site, if you want to see this be maybe a new model of how we launch stuff, of how we, you know, develop space, how we think outside of just like Air Force bases and Kennedy Space Center, trying new things. This, all this stuff that's happening now, you know, people getting really upset. Um, you know, uh, people who are observers, right? People not, not, not like investors in SpaceX or Musk or whatever, people who are excited about space flight. This is a good development because this means that this site is going to, if, if it's done right, and if, and if the, the, the problems and the hiccups and, and the mistakes are corrected in a way that, that maybe gets some trust in the public that, you know, it's not just reckless. And also, you know, on the other side that they're not just holding up progress of space development. I think, you know, having to wait, you know, three months, six months, shoot, even a year, which I know is just painful for space fans here. But I think if you, if, if, if you want this site to be successful and to be launching rockets and to, to, to really develop the South Texas area as kind of it's been promised, if you want it to live up to the promise of that was kind of given about the potential of the site, this is all good stuff because these are discussions that are going to happen eventually and you may as well get them out of the way now because all that happens over time as you know, um, uh, you know, externalities aren't fully, um, disclosed to the public and people feel mistrust and, and, and all the, the bad stuff gets reported on without, you know, people feeling there's really a good adult in charge, I think undermines the long-term success of this launch site. So I actually, I'm, I, I think it's, I think if, I think if you want to see this site exist going forward, I think this is a good thing to happen. It may not feel like it now, but that's kind of my, uh, uh, you know, kumbaya statement for the day. <laughs> there you go. Gene, anything you'd like to add? Yeah. One thing, Eric, and I'm going to go back to the possibility of a new, uh, uh, environmental impact study. There was, I'm just reading a quote here. It was sort of like the last paragraph and forgive me. I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree here when it comes to these things. So, and in effect, you may have answered, answered this, but I'm going to fire it out anyway. Uh, it, it reads um, as follows. Uh, as part of the license application determination process, the FAA will review new environmental information, including changes related to the launch pad, as well as other proposed vehicles and flight mod- modifications. The FAA will complete a written evaluation to the 2022 programmatic environmental assessment evaluating the new environmental information, including the Endangered Species Act 
consultation with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. If the Endangered Species Act consultation, I'm sorry, if if the FAA determines through the written reevaluation process that the contents of the programmatic environmental assessment do not remain valid in light of the changes proposed for Flight 2, additional environmental review will be required. Accordingly, the FAA has not authorized SpaceX's proposal for Flight 2. Now, are they talking about the uh, uh, a new environmental impact study there? They they are opening. The, I, I think it's it's CYA. I, I think they're opening the possibility. And and as a reminder, the original EIS that was 2014, 2015, that time frame, they did like they did like six written written reevaluations that did not in their mind trigger uh, an EIS, um, and that was kind of modifying the site. Um, and actually, this is this is probably. I think it's actually maybe worse than what happened with the the EA process because what they did is they that was the process of them converting the site from a you know handful of Falcon launches into uh, an R and D site where you expect explosions on a regular basis. What they did is they did like five or six written reevaluations, and what they did is they went back and they said, "Here are the changes, but here's why it's not a significant impact." It doesn't have the public comment requirements. It doesn't have quite as much uh, legal review. So it's, it's basically it's a way to kind of ratchet it up a little bit and just say, well, you know, adding this launch, you know, as adding this test launch stand, adding this, you know, uh, uh, you know, pressure vessel test, adding this launch bay, adding this, 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 and this, they would just add those to those. And those were part of this same review process, which was a written reevaluation. Um, and, and so what they're doing is they're saying, we're doing this. I don't think it tips their hand. They're just saying this, it could require more environmental review. And certainly that they, they could come out and say there'll be a new EIS. That's certainly they're, they're, they're hedging because that is something that could happen. Um, and I don't know if you remember back in 2021, there was talks of, Hey, we may, we may make you take down the, the, the giant launch tower. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind it's kind of similar to that. I, yeah, that's I remember my that. interpretation. Yeah. That was, that's my interpretation of it is that they're, they're, I mean, they're, 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 they're citing the rules for issuing a launch. You have to review all the environmental requirements. And I think, I think the big holdup, um, you know, obviously is the Clean Water Act stuff, but they have, they're supposed to go through and, and they have, they have those 60 something, uh, uh, um, mitigations under the Fonzie that, that make this for each individual launch, this ironically, right? This lower level of review because they had to include these mitigations to prove that was below this EIS significant level, significance level, they have to review those mitigations as if they're permit conditions. They have to go through them and say, you know, since we last reviewed, you know, are they complying with this? Do they need to? And one of, I, there's like three or four of them um, that, for example, reference permitting with TCEQ. Um, so they're going to have to, they're going to have to go through them. And, and I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't make any conclusions off of it, but they're certainly opening the possibility that anything can happen and that would be up to and including an EIS. But I, I certainly wouldn't make a definitive conclusion based on that or really even a speculation. Okay, because that was my that that that's what my conclusion was, that they they may be talking about a new environmental impact study there. And I I I just may have been out of out of hand when I was looking at that. No, no, I no, I think I think they're absolutely hedging that as a possibility. But I mean, that's just them saying, you know, worst case scenario. And that's why I think that, you know, the same thing where they, they literally put out multiple statements like, Hey, you never know. We won't make them, make them take down this giant launch tower. I kind of look at it as like that. I don't, it, it doesn't seem likely to me, but I, I don't know. Um, those, um, for people who have not read them, um, go, go and read, go and read that, that, that Bloomberg story and any of the reporting on the FOIA documents that came out. Um, because they're like, bureaucrats and, and especially in the federal government, they're really careful about how they choose their language. And, you know, the fish and wildlife folks were not, not pleased. And they're, they are certainly going to, um, you know, not that they're trying to stop it, but they're going, they're going to make sure that their concerns are heard and you can, you can really sense the frustration in them. And, yeah. and I think that's pretty clear, but, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause again, after I read that, I, I was, I was like, holy blank i mean are are they you know are we looking at you know re, a reset here because when i read that i nearly fell out of my chair 
So I thought, again, that we were talking about possibly rewinding it and doing a complete environmental impact study again. Right. And that's, and that's kind of what I was getting at when people, you know, um, I've, I've had some really good conversations, including with people who disagree with me, who've dealt with regulations. I, there's a few, uh, civil engineering folks I've gotten to know and we disagree about a lot of things about mm-hmm. SpaceX, but, um, you know, they, you go through and, and part of it is, reading the regulation and and like when you read these statements when i see like keywords and phrases you know people like you read it like it's plain language and then we talk about the 45 days and the 135 days and those things you know it's it kind of sounds ominous but what they're doing is they're reciting regulation and so you can do like kind of a plain read view with like a with a bias going in and not that i'm like perfectly unbiased because i'm not but you (laughs) but part of it is knowing what the rule says but then Mm -hmm. part of it is knowing how the agency and how you know, the, how these, these agencies kind of fundamentally work. So it's not just reading the rule and being like, aha, I got you on this other thing. And I, because there's, there's usually, you know, case precedent, there's, there's context, and there's also just the, the real way that these actual agencies behave in the real world, which doesn't always reflect in how a person who's read a regulation for the first time would interpret it. I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. Okay, that that clears that up. So, you know, I, I appreciate it. And, and again, before I, I take off here, I just want to say, look, we are not ganging up on the company, okay? Because I, I've said this so many times in this program. If if this if SpaceX succeeds, the the United States does overall because they're like it or not, the the companies are the company and the U.S. space program are inexorably linked. We want this thing to work, but we want it to work in a intelligent and a, and basically within the laws and within the regulations. And right now there seems to be some ambiguity on one, on one part about what those laws and regulations are. And that, that's, that's all we're saying. Yep. Yep. And I think, I think I hope it, I hope I, I'm, I, if anyone's like, you know, even people that I, I actually got, I got a really good email last week from, from someone who, uh, um, I think, I think, I don't remember if this, this podcast or another appearance, they were like, like, you know, I'm such a SpaceX fan and like, this disappoints me and whatever. And, and, you know, and they're like, well, I disagree with you about the importance, but I'm glad you're bringing it up. And, and, you know, I, if, if, if I, I hope, I hope that, you know, if anyone, um, you know, I don't want to just write rage bait for people who, you know, love Musk or hate Musk or love SpaceX or hate SpaceX or whatever, um, there's been some people that disagree with me that have, that have, uh, you know, picked up some, maybe some, some new appreciation for how the laws work and why they're there. And so, you know, I, I think any, any opportunity that the public can be aware of, you know, how stuff works, um, with governments, I think, I think it helps kind of trust across the board and, and it helps people have, you know, better appreciation of, you know, the protections we have as a consequence of these laws and, and how much further we have to go, um, you know, especially with things like climate change and, 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 and that, but I hope, you know, if, if you take nothing else away from me is that like, it's, it's, it's cool to be passionate about rockets, but you can be passionate about other stuff. That's like way more boring and maybe, maybe, maybe it can be exciting. Um, so anyway, I just, that's, I'm, I'm really passionate about this stuff and I think it's really important to have a, a functional, you know, uh, economy and, and society going forward is kind of this respect for the rule of law, but also, you know, you should also question it when it isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. So that's, that's, that's kind of where I come from on this stuff. And, um, uh, my, my messaging isn't always perfect, but that's, that's, that's what I believe. And I, I think, I think this is a really good opportunity for people to, you know, maybe, maybe touch some grass a little bit and, and get some perspective. And it's a reminder to myself that like, things that are important to me aren't always as important to everyone else. So it's a reminder for me to touch grass, uh, you know, again, both figuratively and literally. So, so Eric, uh, with that in mind, tell our listeners how they can uh, get in touch with you and, and read your stuff uh, on the web. I know you've got uh, an X account and uh Substack where you've I, written some really, I won't cool call stuff. it X. That's one thing I won't do. I've got a Twitter account. <laughs> it, by, I, I think twitter.com still redirects. Yeah. It's at yeah, ESG hound. It does. Um, I'm same, same handle on um, a few other sites that I'm trying to post at a little bit more often. Um, although Twitter is very addictive. Um, you can find me on my Substack, which is also ESG hound. Um, and then you can send me an email at ESG hound 
at gmail.com. And I, I, I believe I've responded to every message except for some really, really mean ones. But even then I, even then I try to respond. So I always happy to discuss this stuff and um, yeah. Very good. And we'll also be including links to Eric's info and the, the show notes on talkingspaceonline.com as well. So I want to thank our listeners for being with us today. And thanks to Eric Resch for joining us. Thank you. And also Gene McCulka. Thanks, Gene. Thanks, Larry. It's always uh, always fun to go ahead and, and talk about these these things. I learn a lot from Eric every time he's here. Uh, me too. Always a very interesting conversation. And to everyone, I hope the rest of your day is great. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.